Appreciated that good song tonight. Amen. Thankful that he can come in the way that he knows that we need him to come. And uh, the songwriter gave uh, different ways that the Holy Spirit comes, and, and yet oftentimes I find myself saying, Lord, come the way that you know that I need you to come more than the way that I want you to come. You know, oftentimes we prescribe to the Lord what we want, but He knows what we have need of. Amen. I didn't mention this morning, we truly uh, appreciated uh, having the Mayhans back. Uh, good to have our matriarch of the church back, Sister Mahan. So good to have her. And Denise does so much behind the scenes and so forth. Glad to see her back safe. And I suppose it's all right that Dean came back too. No, I'm... <laughs> I need somebody to harass. I mean, I mean, it was Dean gone. I didn't know what. I didn't know what to. I didn't know who to pick on. So poor Rocky got it. And so Rocky's, Rocky's thrilled that you're back, brother. <laughs> oh, thankful. Uh, thankful for trips and vacations, but thankful for when you all get home. And uh, hopefully, uh, Alex and Lauren will get back soon, and uh, we'll have everybody home for at least a little while. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm not sure I'm going to get through this message. You've heard me say that before, and that's always, that means, that means trouble, doesn't it? I'll, and all the Chiefs fans groaned. <laughs> I know, I know, there's a game tonight. I hope... I hope that not because of me, but because of the Holy Spirit, that, that uh, this will be more pleasurable than, than that. So, but we'll, tr- we'll just try to trust and mind the Lord, and I'll try not to keep you past, you know, eight or nine. <laughs> First Thessalonians chapter four, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Some of this is uh, some of this is some of our great text. Probably have heard many preaching, uh, many sermons, many sermons from this. First Thessalonians chapter four. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments. We gave unto you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, but even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that... I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. 
and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. By the grace and help of the Lord tonight, we're going to try to preach an answer to the question, why be holy? Why be holy? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us unto holiness and provided the means thereof. We ask that you'd anoint these lips of clay one more time, that we might rightly divide the word of truth, and that you'd be glorified and honored in it. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. There's a story of a, a little Mexican uh, village that, uh, on the coast that was visited by an investment banker. And he was standing there on the pier, and in came, uh, about midday, uh, a little fisherman, a Mexican fisherman, and he had his catch, and of course it was an excellent catch. The investment banker was very impressed. And he said to the fisherman, he said, how come you've come in so early in the day? And he said, well, uh, this is all that I needed for, to provide for my family. He said, uh, I'm going to go and, and uh, I'll, uh, I'll probably go into the village. I'll probably go home and, and spend some time with my family and with my children. I, uh, tonight I might uh, go with some friends. We might play the guitar together and have a good time. And the investment banker says, no, 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 no. He says, what you need to do is you need to really fish all day long. You need to get a, a, a big catch, and you need to sell your fish, and, and, and you need to make extra so that you can buy more boats. And you buy more boats, and, and, then, uh, and, and then you can make more money. And, and the fisherman says, well, what, what would I do then? Well, he says, well, you, you, you get enough boats, and he said, Pretty soon you can cut out the middleman. You can start going directly to, to the uh, producers. And, and, and then after that, you can start canning it yourself. And, and you can really make some money. He says, and when, what will happen after that? He says, well, after that, you really you can get a market on the whole business. And, and you can move to Los Angeles and then to New York City. And, and you can be the fishing king. He said, and the fisherman said, well, what would I do after that? And... Uh, the investment banker says, well, then you, can, then you can sell your entire empire for millions of dollars. And the fisherman said, well, what would I do after that? He says, well, you could buy yourself a little home in a coastal village of Mexico, and you could fish when you wanted to and spend time with your wife and your kids and go and play guitar with your friends. The investment baker missed the point, didn't he? <laughs> I told you that story because oftentimes we miss the point. We get, we get just doing and doing and living and going through life and going through our routines and, and have all these things that, that have to be done and and uh, it seems like we're controlled by our calendars. We're controlled by our appointments. There's so many things that have to be done. And sometimes 
it might just be helpful to stop and say, what's the point? What's after this? What's after this? In our text, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. Some believe this is the first book that was ever written in the New Testament. Before the Gospels, before any of the other books, that this was the first one. And, and uh, he is writing to that church that he had helped plant. And he's saying to them that they need to go on in to holiness. I'm thankful from the beginning of the time of the church that God has set forth a call to his people for holiness. And I know that it's going out of style. I know that, that many churches, even churches that have in their history the message of holiness, it's being pulled out of their books, it's being pulled out of their pulpits. A man that I know, he's a, he's a preacher in one of, uh, one of the holiness denominations, one of the, what, the mainline ones, and he told me, he says, I no longer preach holiness because I can't live it. It's falling out of favor. Holiness is something that's going, uh, is becoming something of a bygone era. era. And it's, many believe it's an error. Cannot be lived, cannot be uh, cannot be uh, 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 lived by, by humans. It's not something until you can go on into death and then someday, hey, when you face the Lord in death, you'll be sanctified. Folks, if that was true, then why would God, uh, the Holy Spirit, move Paul to write these words, the church of Thessalonica? Why should we, why should we be sanctified? Why should we be holy? The first reason is given right in the, in the very first verse of this chapter. It is to please God. To please God. All of us, every single one of us that's here from the oldest to the youngest is living to please somebody. We are all trying to please somebody with our life. For, for some, I suppose that, that there are those that are here just to please themselves. And that's quite natural, especially for the youngest among us. That we're born with a, with a natural inclination, a bent towards pleasing ourselves. Child will quickly let you know when their will is crossed. When they get oatmeal instead of Cheerios and it goes on the floor. They let you know from a very, very young age that they want what they want. And unfortunately, some never outgrow it. All their life, they're clutching and they're grabbing and they're demanding and they want and they have to have. Oh, but unfortunately, that, it, those things just never satisfy those things, they, they, they get and they have, they consume, and they want more. So they get and they consume and they want more. It's a terrible way to live. Pleasing of self. Others are, live to please other people. There's some people here that I suppose that naturally your natural bent is to please others. You're concerned with what other people think. That is the most important thing to you, is making sure nobody's upset with you, that everybody's happy, that, that, you've got their, that, that you've got their approval. It might be everybody, and it might be just one or two somebodies. But some of us live as slaves to pleasing other people. 
Do we talk right? Do we dress right? Do, 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 do we just do things just the way that, that they would have us to do them? Now, I'm not saying that, it's, that we shouldn't try to please people. I think that there are, there's a level of that that's good and healthy. There's a, there's a level of that that makes sense. You know, I, 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 I hope that when you come to church that you've bathed recently. That you've brushed your teeth and recently. Be, there's a reason for that. Because it's unpleasant. It's unpleasant. And so whether I feel like a, a shower or not, I make sure to get one before I come over to church on a Sunday morning. Because I, want, I don't want you to go, whoo, man, that pastor, he, he's strong smelling. <laughs> there is a sense, there's a sense that we do want to please other people, but it can be, could be taken way too far. And in the unsanctified heart, they are controlled by the thoughts of other people. They're controlled by what pe other people think about them. And oh, folks... It's a horrible way to live. It's a horrible way to live. Because they lose themselves. They don't even know themselves because their every action is run through the grid of other, well, how other people take it, how other people respond to this. And Paul says to us, we ought to be holy because the primary responsibility of every Christian is to please God. To please God. He comes first. More than anything else, we've got to please him. More than anything else, we've got to have his smile of approval on our lives. More than anything else, we've got to have God saying, that's the way that a child of God should act. And that should control us. And you know what's amazing? I told you that some are slaves to, to the pleasures of themselves or slaves to the, ple uh, to the, to the uh, other people's, their thoughts toward, uh, about them. But what's amazing is when we are concerned about pleasing God, instead of enslaving us, it truly frees us. It truly frees us. For we become what God created us to be. So many people misunderstand this. They get so caught up here. They think that, they think that serving God is a drudgery and a difficulty and a, and a hardship. But it's not because we become what we were created to be. And when we become what we're created to be, there is a freeness, there is a release that takes place that can't be understood. Suddenly there's a peace in our hearts. And it's almost like sitting in your favorite chair. It's, this is where I'm supposed to be. Oh, that God would help us to learn to please Him first and foremost and find true freedom. Not only is our, uh, should we be sanctified, and not only should we pursue holiness because it pleases God, but we ought to, we ought to be holy because we need to obey God. Holiness is required by God's people. Paul said that he had delivered this commandment to them through the Lord Jesus Christ. This word commandment is a, is a word that's a military term for orders. The Lord Jesus had given him the command to tell the commands to the people to be sanctified. 
It was going down the chain of command from, Paul, from God to Paul and then to the people. And Paul would say, if you despise this truth, if you despise the message of holiness, it's not me that you're despising, it's your commander that you despise. I don't know what it's like to be a soldier. I don't know what it's like to, to have to orders to be given to me by my commanding officer that came down the line and have to obey them and not know why we're doing what we're doing. I think that would drive me crazy. I'd like to know the whole plan. I'd like to know all the details. That's just the way I am. I like to know the whole scope of things and how what I'm doing plays a part in the greater plan. It's just the way that I'm wired. I don't think I'd have made a very good soldier. And you know, to be honest with you, there's sometimes in the Christian walk that that's just the way it is, that the Holy Spirit gives His command, He gives His orders to us, and we don't know how it fits in His great scheme. In fact, I'd say it seems like most of the time that's the way it is. There's so much that God allows and so much that, that He requires. And, 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 you know, there's sometimes young people will ask, why does God say no to this? And sometimes I'll say, you know, I just don't really know the answer to that. But I know this. I know that God knows all things. And I know that He doesn't say no, but what He cares about us. And there's some things that I just don't understand. There's some things that God has allowed in my life and allowed in the lives of people that I care about that I don't understand why God allowed it in their life. But here's what I know. That we serve a commander who knows all things. We serve a commander who, who has, has uh, laid out a great plan for this old world. And I don't understand all of it. I know something of atonement. I know something of holiness. I know something about well, God's uh, redeeming love. But, but to be honest with you, I just know just a little bit of it. I'm just a pawn in, in His great plan. But I don't need to know the whole details. I don't have to have God's master plan. I don't have to have it figured out. All I need to know is what God requires. But folks, I, I, I think that one of the things that we need to understand about, about obedience to the Lord is, is it's not just doing it. It's about having a heart to do it. It's about having a heart to do it. One of the great difficulties is when you read through the Old Testament, you find a, a prophet by the name of Jonah. Man, when you read this story, it, it, just, it just, seems like, just seems like just a, a, a crazy kind of story. And I'm not even talking about a man getting swallowed by a fish for three days. I'm talking about a man of God who's going the other direction in the way that God wants him to go. He finally gets his uh, willing to do it, and he goes the whole way hating the, the requirement that God gave him. And he's sitting there outside the city when God's supposed to be destroying it if they didn't repent, and he's having a conniption because God spared the city. Do you know, I, I, as far as I can tell, Jonah had more converts than any prophet of the Old Testament. And I can't figure out how. I can't imagine what his sermon must have been. You all good for nothings. You need to get right with God. He's going to destroy you in 40 days. And I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> I don't think they'd let him on the IHC platform. 
I just have a funny feeling that Jonah wouldn't be uh, called for, to be our evangelist. If I had to bring him up, I'm sure the board would have a fit. We don't want a preacher like that. I wouldn't want a preacher to come like that. But he had results, didn't he? Yes, he did. Amen. But in his heart, he was, he, even though he was obeying in his heart, he was saying, I hate this and I don't want to be here and I don't want these people to get right with God. Folks, that's, you know what that is? That is carnal obedience. Carnal obedience. We need to get sanctified so that we can obey with all of our hearts. With all of our hearts. I'm not saying there aren't times that, that obedience is difficult for the sanctified heart. I'm not saying there aren't times that, that it's difficult to be obedient to God as a sanctified person. Jesus, as he's praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane, is praying for the cup to pass by. He's asking that there's some other way that he wouldn't have to go to the cross, that he wouldn't have to drink the cup of poison, the, the cup of sin. He's praying for, for an escape route, an alternative plan. It wasn't easy for Jesus to be obedient to the cross. But his heart was surrendered to the will of God. I'm not saying it'll be easy when you're sanctified that, that, and if it's sometimes difficult for you to mind God that, that, and get, that, that that's a sign that you're not sanctified. No, what I'm trying to say to you is there will not be this carnal resistance. The only reason I'm obeying is because I have to. There will be something in your heart that says, I'm obeying because I love God and I want to serve Him and I may not understand it and it might be really hard right now and I might choose a different path if it were up to me, but I'm going to obey God anyways because I trust Him and because I love Him. Amen. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. One of the things I like to, to say to, uh, to different ones is they're at the altar and they're seeking holiness and they're praying about it. I said, I love this verse. To quote to him, I said, you're, one of the great things about praying for sanctification is you know you're praying within the will of God. There's a lot of times we pray and we don't know whether we're praying in the will of God or not. When we pray for those that are sick, we don't, we're, we don't know if it's God's will to heal them or not. When there's some that are at death's door and we're praying that, that the Lord would bring healing and allow them to live, we don't always know whether that's God's will or not. But I'm thankful that when we pray for sanctification, when we pray for, for holiness of heart, that we are praying within the will of God. If you're saved, you're praying within the will of God. So obey God. Paul says not only is it to, so that we might obey God, but it's also so we are sanctified so that we might glorify God. Do you know what brings the greatest shame to God and to the church? It's when the people who profess to be Christians sin and do so in such a way that it's open and, it's, and it becomes known to the world. There is nothing that, that brings more shame to the cause of Christ than sin within the ranks of the church. I can say some names of televangelists from the 80s, and you know exactly who I mean. I don't even have to say, all I had to say was that much, and you already know 
the shame and the degradation and the black mark on the church that those names have brought to the cause of Christ. And they're not of us. They weren't holiness preachers, but they still, we bear their mark. That's the 80s, and here it is. We're getting close to 2020, and we're still bearing the mark of sins that were committed a generation ago. The Catholic priest and their scandal, how that shook the world, and it still keeps going on. It's, it's as shameful as it is. There's new revelations and new issues and new problems. And what's it doing? It's, even though we're not of them, even though we're a different denomination, it's still the cause of Christ. It's, all, it's still the name of God. And what has it done? It's put a black mark on us. You don't think it has? When I came, when I was called to, to do a trial sermon at, at this church, I looked it up on Google. Because that's what young people do. I, I went on Google Street View so I could see what the church looked like before I came. And I got to even see the old parsonage. The Street View had the old parsonage. I even got to see that, the old parsonage. I, I, was, I was just looking to see what, what Google had to say. And do you know there was a review on there? And that review said that, that the pastor abused altar boys. about this church. Now I want you to know I took care of that and I contacted Google and got that erased even before I was your pastor. But the mark, the mark affects this little church in Altamont of the decisions and the behavior of a Catholic priest even touched here. Why, will we, why should we get sanctified? Because if you go on sanctified and you have taken the name of Christ and people know you as a Christian, you are susceptible to sin. The carnal nature will continue to work against your obedience to God. It'll cause you to lust after the things of this world. In fact, Paul begins to mention some of those, and one of the biggest ones is sexual immorality. And those sins of, the, uh, of those televangelists and of those priests that I mentioned are, were sexual immorality. They mark the church. But do you know what glorifies God? Is when people see a change that has been wrought in the life of a nasty, wicked, terrible sinner who's been turned around and changed by the grace of God. And people say, I don't know what happened to them. They used to be, but today they're not that anymore. I don't understand. There's no greater testimony to the work and to the reality of God than a person who was and now is not that anymore because God has changed them and made them a new creature. Oh, that God would help us to glorify Him going on into holiness so that we wouldn't bring a reproach to the name of God. We wouldn't bring a reproach to our Savior and not bring a reproach to our church. I was pastoring a little church some time ago, and we had a man in that church. He was not a member, as I recall. But he had a well-known reputation in the community 
as a man who looked too long. You know what I mean. It's a shame. It's a real shame when you have that. I'd go and visit somebody in the hospital and extended family would be there. People from the community would be there. And they would say, does so-and-so go to your church? And I'd say, yes, and I knew it was coming. You know what he does? Yeah, I know. What do you do about it? You, you don't want to tell him not to come. You want him to, you want him to get right. There was nothing I could do to, uh, to make him not do that anymore. All I could do is be faithful to his soul. But he, he caused a mark on our community. Almost everywhere I went trying to tell people about Jesus, they would ask me, does so-and-so go to your church? Do you know what he does? Oh, folks, we got to get sanctified so that we do not put a, a black mark on the name and the cause of Christ. Amen. If we're going to glorify him, we're going to have to live above sin. You know, there's a Calvinist, they're, and they're <laughs> bless their hearts, preacher was preaching hard against sin, and one of the ladies got mad about it. She said, why do you preach so hard about Christians who commit sin? And of course, we don't believe Christians commit sin, but they do. She says, uh, the preacher says, said, yes, I understand Christian sin. He says, but it's worse when it's a Christian. And I just say to you this, this, this evening, even though we don't believe that, it's worse when somebody who professes to be a Christian sins and when a sinner sins. We expect sinners to sin. We should expect it. It shouldn't take us by surprise. But when somebody who bears the name of Christ commits sin, it brings a black mark to our, to our cause, to the cause of Christ. Glorify God. Paul tells us not only should we be sanctified for those reasons, but also that we might escape the judgment of God. He said that God is the avenger of those that do such a thing. Those sins that Paul is warning about, going through and listing there, he says that God is the avenger of those who commit those terrible sins. Folks, we, there is no escape from the correction of God. If we are sinners, then we will face judgment. If we are Christians and, and uh, there are areas that we're letting down, if there's areas that, and we're not... Uh, not sin, but we're getting loosened, there is the correction of the Holy Spirit. And if we're a Christian and we fall, there's still correction for that. There's discipline for that. All of us will face correction of the Holy Spirit if we sin. And I'll just be honest with you. I don't like getting corrected. When I, now, I, that doesn't mean I don't take correction. But I don't enjoy correction. I don't like to hear that I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I need to hear it. And I'll hear it. But I don't want to be wrong. I want to, to live a, my life in such a way that I don't need the Holy Spirit to say, Son, straighten up. You know, I, it's a funny thing. My kids don't like correction either. You know, I, I just don't understand it. You know, I give them a look and, and oh, okay. Well, 
They don't like it. I suppose we could do the poll, a poll of our teachers. They probably, there's no students that like correction either. You know, correction's not enjoyable. We're not supposed to like it. That's why it's called correction. Oh, that we, that we would live in such a way that we would not require correction. Holiness helps us to do that. Helps us to be careful. And it helps us when we begin to just get a little out of sorts. That we're quick to apologize because we don't want to go too far. You know, one of the things that I love about the holiness folk is that their reverse gear works the best. If you're truly sanctified, I'm sorry is easy to say. Because we got a lot of practice saying it. It's, we, we, get, we get into reverse because, you know, uh, the way we said that, we just, that tone was, wasn't the way that I meant to say that. And, I, and I'll say I'm sorry to, to the wife or to the kids. Say, you know what, that's not exactly, the, the tone was a little harsher than what I intended. Why would I do that? I'd rather do, take care of it now than for it to become a problem and have to be corrected for it. Holiness people have a good reverse gear. If your reverse gear is broken, I'd recommend getting it fixed. Mine's well-worn, I can assure you. <laughs> I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. And you know how excitable I can get. I got all this energy that's bursting all the time. I can't sit still. But I have to be careful. That in the process, I don't hurt feelings. When I tease that I don't cross a line. And if I do, I, I apologize. And you know there have been times I've apologized and people have said, you don't owe me an apology. Well, maybe I don't, but I want to make sure that in case you did think I did owe you one, I just want to make sure you have it. I'd rather say too many I'm sorry's than not enough. I'd much rather someone think that I, that I apologized all over myself way too much. Now, I guess you can take it too far. There's those that have taken it too far. They apologize when, when you can't even figure out what in the world they're apologizing for. I know that there's people that are sensitive that way. But, oh, the child of God wants to get sanctified so that they can please God can be obedient to him so they can glorify him so they can uh, escape his judgment but also so he can love God's children Paul talks about that you love each other you've already received that you've already understood that you John Wesley said if you seek for anything but more love you seek amiss Paul talks about two things that are important in relationship it's harmony and honesty. Harmony and honesty. If you're hard to get along with, get sanctified. Because sanctified people are easy to get along with. It's just the way it is. A sanctified person doesn't put their will and their way first. They're willing to suffer just so, that, uh, so that to keep the peace. They're willing for others to have their way. 
They're willing to, to work with people that are difficult. We don't shy away from working with difficult people. We, we trust in the Holy Spirit to, to oil the gears. I'm not saying everybody's going to like you if you get sanctified. Because there's just some people that don't like holy people. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because they feel guilty around us. I just don't know what the deal is. But there is some reason that some people just don't like holy people. And some people just don't like certain personalities. I suppose some people probably don't like the way that, that I'm ornery. I'm sorry, that's just the way I am. And I guess some people don't like other people that are a little more quiet and reserved. They think everybody's got to talk and, and be outgoing. I don't know. We all have different personalities that rub us the wrong way, I suppose. But you know what? It's person, a personality that rubs me the wrong way doesn't keep me from loving them. And a personality that rubs me the wrong way doesn't make it where it's difficult for me to serve them. Holiness prepares us to serve others. Mom never used them when, uh, when I was a kid, and, and so I don't know a whole lot about them, but I understand that some, of, some people are really get going back to these cast iron skillets. Most everything now is Teflon. And I don't know how many times I've been warned by my wife and my mother growing up, don't use a metal utensil on the Teflon. I can tell you that I have never, ever used a metal... Yeah, right. <laughs> but these cast iron skillets are of a different breed, aren't they? Some of you, some of you know what I'm talking about. You use them or, or know somebody that, that did growing up, perhaps a mother or grandmother. But you know, they're, they're, they're a little different. You've got, you've got to season those things. You take that cast iron skillet, you just don't throw that on the oven, put your food in, cook it, and, and scrub it in the dishwasher and be done with it. You, man, you get yourself in trouble, husband, if you do that. Don't do that. I understand that, there, that it's a process. You got you to gotta oil that thing, and you got to... You gotta, you cook in it, and then you wash it, and I think you're not allowed to use soap, if I, know, if I understand correctly, and you're supposed to scrub it out, and then, then you have to put it on the fire to, to heat it up, to get it to dry. You can't let it air dry or anything. It'll rust. And then you got to soak that thing in oil and then put it aside. The next time you use it, you got to go through that process. And they say that if you get it well seasoned, that you can't get things to stick in those things. If you get it seasoned, good enough. You know, getting sanctified is a lot like, like that. Sometimes there's a fire. God has to burn off the dross and the things that would corrupt us. And then there's the oil of the Holy Spirit put on us so that the things of this world won't stick to us. And sometimes that... We've got to go back to the Lord and just ask Him to cleanse us. Maybe we've sinned. Maybe it isn't sin. Maybe most of the I remember, especially when I worked at a factory, the, the language was so terrible. I remember I'd come home, I'd need a shower from working in, 
there I'd have the filth of the factory, but, but I'd be praying in the shower saying, Lord, wash my mind out from all the stuff that I've heard. I don't want it to find a resting place in my mind and not in my heart. And some of you are shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about. There's some places that you go to work and, it, and, and you just pray and ask God to help it not to find a place to stick to us. Don't, Lord, don't let it stick to my heart. Thankful for the work of holiness in our heart that prepares us for service. And we, the world can throw its worst at us, but it just doesn't stick. Because God has seasoned us. Put us through the fire and put us through the water. and Put us, put us through the oil. So that when the world would come to corrupt us, it can't. It can't. And we don't reproach his name and we don't bring a reproach on his cause or on his church because he sanctified us wholly. Oh, if there's ever a day we need to hear the message of holiness, it's today. It's dying off and what's happening is more and more people are becoming a reproach to the truth. Oh, that God would give us a good generation of holiness preachers and people that want the truth of holiness. And we'd see a revival sweep across this country again of people who are wanting to be holy before God. Let's stand together. Amen. Rocky, would you dismiss us in prayer? Your purpose and will in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.